It's good to see you. This is, uh, you know, how many were up past midnight? Okay, that's good. My family's hands are all up. I don't know why. I was asleep. How many were up past two? No, one. Ah, there we go. There we go. Good. You guys win the prize today for getting to bed that late and getting here to church. Now, that's wonderful. We would have, if you got made it out to Legacy at 8.30 in the morning, you would have, you know, won a huge gift. But we're glad that you're here. My name is Dean Hampton. For those of you who don't know me, uh, I am the Legacy Pastor out at uh, Legacy. And it's just been an honor to be a part of this church and an honor to be part of Legacy and to get to know you more and more uh, throughout the years. This is an amazing group of people that God is always developing and building, and it's so much fun to see. As I get to know people more and more, I see God working more and more, and that to me is uh, a lot of fun and just an honor to be a witness to. I will say this, though. Today is going to be different. The preaching is going to be less which people, some people go like this, but we're going to have a little participation in the end. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I thought at Legacy this morning, the most powerful time was when people spoke. The speaker was so-so, but the power came from the people afterwards. And what we're going to talk about today is pivot points in our lives when God takes us from one direction to another direction. When Ryan and I, Ryan came to me earlier and, and said, hey, would you like to speak or could you speak uh, for today, you know, during uh, this time? And I said, yeah, and, and he, he had in mind a, a maybe just giving my testimony. And I, and I kind of wrestled with that sometimes because uh, sometimes when testimonies turn into more about uh, the person than God, more about, for I'll use myself, more about Dean than what God has done. So I kind of pushed a little bit back and I prayed about it and thought about it. And then later I came and decided, you know, I'd be okay with talking about the times in my life when through God's word and people, God changed my focus from towards him. So it's going to be a little bit of a testimony today and, and sharing pivot points in my life. But as I'm speaking, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about the times in your life when you've made a pivot, a pivot towards God. And I want you to be strengthened by that and hopefully even be willing to share that. Brian's going to go around towards the end or midway point and ask for people to tell us. Tell us about a pivot point in your life that God took you and moved you into a different direction. And I guarantee you, people around you will be encouraged and they'll look at God in a new way and say, God is good. And that's the whole purpose of this time is that we can focus on God and say, God is good. And I guarantee you, when you start sharing your pivot points, your testimony to people, that's what people get. God is good. And it's powerful. 
So I want to start out by telling you the first major point in my life where God grabbed me. And it was probably about 18 to 20 feet up in a tree at about 12 years old. A friend of mine and I had climbed up this tree and doing what 12-year-olds do, it's usually never good. We were throwing stuff at cars as they came by, right? Nothing better to do, whether it's rocks or sticks or, you know, little parts of the tree. We didn't care. If, it, if we could throw it, we threw it. And, uh, and we did. We thought it was great. You know, so much fun. Our neighbor, Mrs. Maddox, didn't think that was so great. So Mrs. Maddox is one of the nicest ladies you will ever run into. But for a 12-year-old, she was also very intimidating. Just, she's probably she's very intimidating to me today. But she was intimidating even more back then. But one of the most loving people that you will run across. And in heaven, I will give her a huge hug and thank her. She came out basically to stop us. And as I was coming down the, the tree, I let a few choice words fly out of my mouth. One was uh, using God's name in vain. And that set her off in all sorts of ways. And she was, she was right. She was dead right to do what she did. I was completely wrong. And I became her project. This boy was going to church. And after weeks and weeks of offering and asking and we'll take you to McDonald's, whatever it takes, we'll get you to church. I agreed. And I went to this church. And for those of you who know kind of the culture of the church, it was a King James only fundamental Bible church. And it was loud and intense all the time. And for a 12 year old, my eyes were this big all the time. But one of the greatest parts of that church was they gave the gospel all the time. I knew more about what it meant to be a Christian and, and, the, and the gospel, uh, even as a, a young man. So after about a month of going to church, she sat me down in a chair. It was actually a pew. And she had this, gave me this red Bible. I've still got it somewhere. And it had John 3.16 written in it with a little letter or note to me. And she walked me through John 3.16 and, and asked if I understood what that meant. And, and I did. And I had used, she used that time to, to talk to me more. And I received Christ at that time. Uh, and I was very excited. Um, but my understanding was very limited. I understood that I was a sinner and that I needed saving and that Jesus was that saving way. And I accepted him as that. That was the extent of my theology. But I was happy and I knew that that was true. That was the first major time in my life where God gripped me. Didn't know what it meant other than I was saved. Didn't know how I was supposed to live. But I knew that I was saved through Christ. As I grew up, God was not my focus though. Uh, other things became my focus. Mainly sports in growing up. Uh, and I grew up in a, in a place called Chico, California, which was a phenomenal place to grow up. Uh, 
lots of sports, great friends, um, a lot of freedom, and I loved it. And I still, I still do, still love the place. Uh, but let me show you a sign of what Chico was like during the time that I grew up. Did you catch that? A drinking town has a college problem, or our drinking town has a college problem. That was the culture of Chico when I was growing up. Very clearly, the college town. Uh, now, hear me, Chico State is a phenomenal college. And my dad would point to that and yell and scream because he's a professor at Chico, and that, was, that drove him nuts. And I, I said then, and I'll say now, you can party yourself into oblivion if you wanted to, or you could get a phenomenal education. And honestly, that's the same way in a lot of places. But the people that I hung out with, that was very, um, that was correct. That was correct. Uh, personally, I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs. That was just something I chose not to do. But that was the culture that I was in. And what that did was it took my eye off of the Lord. It took my eye and focus and passion away from Christ and more towards me and what was going on around me. So I might as well have been drinking, might as well have been doing drugs because my heart was not focused on Christ at all. That did change when I went and started attending a great phenomenal college group at a local church. I was, I'll be honest with you, don't, don't tell anybody I said this, but I went there because I knew I, I wanted to date, right? And, and that's, that's where Christian girls were, and I knew I wanted to date a Christian girl, so I went to church. Makes sense, you know? But as I got there, I started meeting people who were focused on the Lord and actively pursuing Him in a healthy way. And I thought, this is good. The man leading the college group uh, was a great example to me of someone who was passionately following Christ. And I started seeing, you know what? I'm actually following sports more than I'm following Christ and passionately moving after him. And that was a form of idolatry. I didn't make that connection then, but I do now. And my heart was starting to turn. And that was a time in my life that led me to the first pivot point, which was the greatness of God. The greatness of God. It was God's character. And I remember sitting in church and they started reading out of Isaiah. And I will remember this uh, forever. Exactly where I was, exactly what I thought, and exactly what was said. And it was this, if you can put up the... In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the 
voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, and he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And whom? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. What struck me so much was the greatness of God. This was the Lord in all his glory. And I remember thinking the words that came to my mind, I will never forget. Very simple. It just says, this is serious. I had been taking and using the Lord in ways that weren't serious. But seeing the character of God and who he is, that's when I went to another level of taking, following after Christ seriously. When I understood and saw just a glimpse of the character of God and the attributes of God and who God is, that just blew me away. And like Isaiah, I realized I'm in a culture that is not making that easy. I am involved in a culture that keeps me from focusing on the Lord first and foremost. But it was the attributes of God, it was the greatness of God that was the first pivot point. After that, I realized I had to dive in deeper, so I started getting discipled by men in the college group. And that turned my life at a different level. It showed me more of Scripture that we can dive into it and know God's very breath. It was a tremendous turn, a tremendous pivot from what I had been and what I was doing. It was the holiness of God. And I love the picture of in Exodus when Moses says, I want to see you. Moses was passionate. He's like, I want to see who you are, God. And God says, you can't do that. But what I'm going to do, this is Dean's version. So cut me a little slack so I'm not reading it. He said, I'm going to take you and stick you into a rock, into a crevice, into a rock. I will pass by you because you will not be able to see me. You will not be able to handle my holiness. That's the God that we serve. That's the kind of God I want to follow. That's the kind of God that I trust. It's all about who God is more than who Dean is and more than who you are. It's about who is the Lord. That's what changes our lives. That's what changes. That was a major pivot point in my life. I will never forget Isaiah and what was going on. The next one is this. The next pivot point happened to me in seminary when I was going through and diving in. It was becoming a union with Christ or one with Christ. When we accept the Lord, we are one with him. And that's kind of a, I could preach on all of these for, for many times. And, and the union with Christ is also one that takes a lot of time to understand. There's some mystery to it. But what we do know is this. 
In Galatians 2.20, it's clear. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What do you think about when you, with the understanding of Christ lives in you? Christ lives in you. What's the first reaction? Don't blurt it out. What's the first reaction when you hear that? What change would that make in your life? Are you lonely? Are you depressed? Are you anxious? Are you frustrated? Christ is there with you always. I love the illustration, and I've used this before, of a lady who I worked with in this church who was passing away with cancer and was doing a lot of treatments. She said, I will always find an empty chair and go, that's where Jesus sits. Wherever she goes, to treatments, any time that she felt uncomfortable, she would talk and she would know that Christ was there with her. And Christ is with you always. Christ is, is one with you. And you are one with Christ. Ephesians 1, 1 through 14 reads this. It talks about everything that happens. This is a great passage. Everything that happens when we accept Christ and Christ is in you. Let me just read this. Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Even as he chose us before, before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to him as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has been blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mysteries of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who walks or works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. That is an incredible passage of scripture that just talks about what God does when we accept him. We are one with Christ. Third and finally this, a pivot point was doing, is doing the word. Is doing the word. We are honestly a, a people of action. We are a people that get into the game. 
And you've heard that illustration before, but it's very similar to if you were to go to the best NFL team in, in the league, the 49ers, and you were dressed up just like them and you had, you know, the shoulder pads on, the helmet on, the, the whole gear on, and you were there in the stands watching, yelling and screaming and saying, I'm part of the team. They would look at you and go, no, you're not. No, you're not. Not even close. You sound the part, but you're not on the field. You're not, you're not in the game. We are a people of action. And God has given you gifts to use in your own unique, special way. Some people are phenomenal mechanics, and they serve people with fixing their cars. And it's very clearly a ministry to them. Others are pastors and they go to seminary and, and they disciple and they work with people and they teach God's word. That's a gift. And you, you have a gift to be used, to be doing something with. There's not a person in here that God has not gifted to bring up others in Christ and to get them excited and pointing them towards Jesus. Not one person in here is without that gift. The question is, are you using it? The question is, are you in the game? If you're, if you're wondering what that looks like, here's a way to find out. Talk to a friend who you trust and say, hey, I've been wrestling with this. I want to make sure that I'm doing everything that I can for Christ and, and be used by him. Where do you see me doing that? What are some ways you've, you've, you've known me? How can I best use my talents. And I guarantee you, they will tell you something. Talk to Brian, talk to Ryan, talk to me and, and say, hey, I want to be used. What does that look like? That's phenomenal. Just that first step of saying, hey, I want to do something. Your life will change. Guarantee it to be used more and more. James 1, through 25 says this, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently uh, at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. But... Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He will be blessed in his doing. Uh, let me give you a quick example if we have a picture from Mexico. Um, one of my jobs is the executive director of Rock Wheels. And what we do is we design and deliver wheelchairs to kids who need it all, all, for free all around the world. So we've got chairs going to Ukraine. We've got chairs going to Mexico in March. This was a distribution we did uh, last, not, uh, well, last January, actually, in Mazatlan. How many have been to Mazatlan before? Just raise your hand. That is the trippiest place I've ever been to. I remember driving from the airport to, to this place we need to go thinking, I'm going to die here. This is crazy. It is just nuts. The most aggressive and defensive drivers in my, that I've ever seen in my life. If that's, a contra, if that's a, uh, you know, confusing, it is. 
But it's a great place. Towards the end, I was thinking, man, this is an amazing place. This was one child that we gave a wheelchair to. And this is a ministry where when they come, they get the gospel. They get the wheelchair, a Bible if they want. And we actively pursue how they're doing and how can we care for them. Uh, I jokingly say she's going to be the mayor of Mazatlan. She demanded attention from us. She was so fun. She got her chair and she was just ecstatic. And her friends were ecstatic because they could now take her to the park and roll her around and have a great time. Um, she, I think, it was about 7.30, we heard a knock on the door. And it was she and her mom at the bed and breakfast that we were staying at. And she wanted to see us one more time. And she held court. And her life changed. And it was because the people that we were around, that was their ability. That's what they did. That's how God used them. And lives are changed. So whatever you can do for the Lord, God has gifted you to do it. Be doers. Be doers of the word. So I'm going to end here my part, but I'm going to start your part. I've asked you to think about what was a pivot point in your life. I've given you three of mine. What about you? Let's hear one from you. And I'm not above calling out volunteers if it gets too quiet. So you better have an answer. <laughs>